please let's not quickly leave this moment. Let's bow our heads together. Our Father, as our heads are bowed in confession that we are needy, needy people. We have come here this morning because we're fully aware of how much we need you. Oh God, we need your power. We need your strength. We need your forgiveness. We need your patience, your kindness, your grace, your mercy, your provision, your healing, every breath we breathe comes from our need of a life-giving Savior. Oh God, this morning we ask that you would make us more conscious of our dependency upon you than ever. That we would not be a people who try to strive in our own strength. For we will surely fail. But Lord God, that we would give ourselves over to you entirely. Lord, may our hearts not be divided. May our lives not run here and there away from you, but may our hearts be wholehearted, longing for you as our prize. Oh God, please help us now. You have gathered with us. You have met with us. You are meeting with us. You have set your presence here and set your face toward us to bless us. And oh God, what greater blessing could there be than to hear the words of the God of the universe proclaim to us. You want to speak to us. You want to connect with us. You want to communicate to us. You want your heart to be known to us. And Lord, I pray that you would cause me to be your messenger this morning. I pray, Father, that you would cause me to be the conduit of your truth and your heartbeat. I pray that I would express the urgency of your love for your people and how much you love us. And how much you want for us, oh God, to have everything, every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus, oh God. And I ask these things in Christ's name and for his sake. Amen. I sometimes wonder if we have understood the purpose of our salvation and the, the nature of what's on God's heart as he draws people to himself and into his family. You see, at the very beginning of creation, when God made people, he gave a mandate, a responsibility, a vision, a purpose. And he said, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. That creation mandate was that people made in the image of God would fill every corner of the globe with the glory of God so that everywhere people would know God. And in the act of salvation, the recreation of people, new creations, he has saved us that we might fill all of the earth with the glory of Christ Jesus as image bearers reflecting the image of Jesus Christ so that people everywhere who had never heard or don't know about Jesus would see something distinctively different in us and appealing that they might in fact ask us, why are you the way you are? 
Why is it so hard? Why is evangelism so hard? Why is it so hard? Why do we have to strive so hard to get people to be interested in the things of God and, 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 uh, and, and go to them and say, do you know Jesus? Do you want to have Jesus? Why are they not coming to us and saying, whatever it is you have, I want it. Shouldn't that be the way it is? Shouldn't our neighbors, shouldn't our co-workers see something so compelling in us as image bearers reflecting the glory of Christ that they would want desperately to know what we have, to know who we have? And they would ask us, what must I do to have what you have? Why are they not beating down the doors of our churches? Why are they not beating down the doors of our houses, our schools, our office places, our stores? Could it be that our lives are not reflecting the glory of Jesus Christ? That they don't really see anything distinctively different in us that's compelling See, that's the challenge of living as exiles in a culture hostile to the things of God. It is both an opportunity and a challenge. And as we embark upon this series in the book of Judges, and we consider the issues of culture and its effects on us, maybe, maybe our witness has been wetted down because... We don't really demonstrate in our lives something that's compellingly different from the lives of the people who are lost in darkness around us. Maybe our testimony has been tamped down. So this is a very urgent and important series that we're embarking upon together as a congregation. I think this is one of the great pivotal moments of us as a community of faith. God has given us examples and, and hints of his great blessing. But I believe with all of my heart that God wants to pour so much more of himself out and do so much more through us and, and give us the experience of what it would be to have a wholehearted devotion to God. And I am a fellow journeyer with you. I am not bringing this series to you as one who has already attained. I'm bringing this series to you as one who is studying the Word of God and His message to all of us. So would you open up your Bibles to the book of Judges, Judges chapter 1. And I want to um, make the point to you that we are in danger of seeing Christianity enculturated in the same way as Israel was in danger of seeing their faith canonized. And um, we are called by God to be people who are different, not just to be different, but because we reflect the image of Jesus Christ in all the world. And so I want you to meet Israel. They've already misfired for 40 years, not experiencing the victory spiritually and the fullness of God that he had for them. In fact, they were wandering around for 40 years in a mission that should have taken 15 days. I don't know about you, but I don't have 40 years to waste. I'm way too old for that now. I don't think any of us ever had 40 years to waste, but I'm really convinced that we at Calvary, we don't have any more time to waste. The hour is urgent. The state of our world is declaring that this is an important, critical, and pivotal time. And I think God is calling on us for something that could be beyond what we could imagine or hope. And so as we embark upon this series, swimming against the current culture, 
or the cultural current, I, I guess it should start out with a question. What does God want for us? Maybe we don't really know. I, I wonder sometimes if we understand what God wants for us. And I'll tell you what he wants for us. He wants it all for us. He wants us to absolutely enjoy every spiritual blessing in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ himself said, I've come to give you life and I've come to give it to you more abundantly in John 10.10. John, later on in his later epistles in 3 John, talks about God's will for us that our soul would prosper. The great heartbeat of God is that we would receive and welcome and experience what it means to be in full relationship with the living God in our lives and to know and to have and to experience a soul that is prosperous with God. God wants us to experience what it would be to have victorious spiritual living, to to conquer and enjoy all of the land of our heart that God has. He wants us to take wholehearted possession of the God-blessed life. The scope of our salvation is described in Matthew and Mark. But in Mark 12, 30, the scope of our salvation is described this way. To love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, with all your strength. It's a a full scope uh, relationship with the living God. He wants us to enjoy that kind of experience. So many markers in the average Christian community point to a half-hearted go at Christian spirituality. We devote so much of our time to playtime and to playmates and to security instead of to the victorious life that God has for us. Let me me invite you to turn back a a whole book to the start of Joshua just to get an idea of the scope of the geographic geographic blessing that God had for Israel and and when you think of the tiny sliver of land that they live in today when you read this in Joshua 1:4 it will give you some sort of hint as to the political discontent and and, and foment in the land of Israel and all that goes with that. And, and, and in Joshua chapter 1, this was the vision of God for his people geographically. If they would live a life full-hearted to him, he would give them this great victory and, and it would be demonstrated to them in this great geographic holding. And notice what it says in verse 4, your territory will extend from the desert in the south to Lebanon in the north and from the great river Euphrates from the northeast and east to the great sea the Mediterranean on the west now if you want to understand the Euphrates and all the Hittite country the Hittite country is the land of Turkey the expanse of Israel was completely beyond where they occupy today This was God's vision for them. If you will respond to all that I'm giving to you, you will know this kind of victory. And God is saying the very same thing to us today. If you will give me wholehearted devotion, you will experience the extensiveness of what it means to enjoy every spiritual blessing in Christ, to experience and engage in victorious Christian living, to know what it is to truly live an abundant life in such a way that people will honestly ask you, can I have whatever it is you're eating? Or whatever it is you're doing? Or whatever it is you're smoking? Or whatever it is you're taking? I don't know, but I want a piece of it. We um, so easily settle for Canadian living instead of Christian living. We settle for middle class versus living sacrifices. We want our sin and our Savior too. We want just enough of Jesus to ensure that we get to heaven, but not enough of Jesus to cost us anything in 
life. It started out so well for these people all over again. Joshua had given this great oratory, great challenge. And we turn the pages of Joshua and we come over and we read verse 1 of Judges 1 and we read this after the death of Joshua. The Israelites asked the Lord and we go, hallelujah, praise God. Joshua's gone, but they're living for God. The first thing they do is, is inquire of him and, and Joshua is, would be so thrilled to know this. They inquire of the Lord, who will be the first to go up and fight for us against the Canaanites? And the Lord answered them. He says, Judah is to go, and I've given the land into their hands. 36 verses later, we read that the angel of the Lord, verse two, 1 of chapter 2, went up from Gilgal of, or to Bochim and said, by the way, the angel of the Lord is... Generally, most often, a, what we call a Christophany, a pre-incarnate appearance of the second person of the Godhead. They met Jesus, and he said, I brought you up out of Egypt and led you into the land that I swore to give to your forefathers. I said, I will never break my covenant with you, and you shall not make a covenant with the people of this land, but you shall break down their altars, yet you have disobeyed me. Why have you done this? Why have you lost your minds in 36 verses? It started out so well. Sunday by Sunday, we make a resolve with God, and it begins well and then less than 36 verses later why are you disobeying me why are you falling back into the same old patterns of of defeat and discouragement when i want you to have so much more well what does god require of us we know what he wants for us he wants us to enjoy him and all of the blessings that he longs to grant to us. So what does God require of us? Look with me at Exodus 23. He had made this known to them. It was obvious that he, what he wanted for them. In Exodus 30, 23, verse 31, I will establish your borders from the Red Sea to the Sea of the Philistines and from the desert to the river and I will hand over to you the people who live in the land and you will drive them out before you. Do not make a covenant with them or with their gods. Do not let them live in your land or they will cause you to sin against me because the worship of their gods will certainly be a snare to you. Don't embrace the sin of the culture of the land that you're moving into. Don't embrace their idols. I'm going to help you. This was not an act of ethnic cleansing. This was an act of spiritual sanitization. Get rid of. Don't make a covenant, God says, with the things that the culture makes a covenant with. Anti-Christian practices. Let me give you a quick listing of the kinds of things that we're talking about here in this text. Of what God was seeking to protect them from and to invite them to, to, um, uh, to, to chase out of their lives. Out of, the, out of the proximity of anything uh, that, that would uh, affect their lives. He, he tells them to get rid of sins. I don't want you to have the sins of the land and the people around you. In Hebrews chapter 12, 1, get rid of sin, the things that so beset us and encumber us in our lives. Now, there isn't a one of us who doesn't have sins in our lives that we need to get rid of. True? The Bible says if we say we have no sin, we are, we are liars. We're not telling the truth. The truth is not in us. You know, sometimes we allow that word sin to be just generalities in our lives so that we don't really have to face it. Listen, the Bible talks specifically about sin, and it calls certain things sin. 
It names sin, sin. Maybe you haven't taken a you haven't taken an inventory lately of what the Bible says about sin, the things that, that ruin us and distance us from God. In, in 1 Corinthians 6, 9 to 10, there are nine things listed there, for instance, specific things that are very, very relevant to, to where we're at today. And, and I, I think as I read through this listing, you'll, you'll hear yourself here. It says that we're to get rid of any sex outside of marriage between a man and a woman. Whether engaging or observing. It tells us that we are, to find our happy, we are not to find our happiness by abandoning God and putting things ahead of God. The text in 1 Corinthians says that we're not to take what doesn't belong to us. Because that's a sin. It says that greed is a sin. It It says that murder is a sin and that disrespect of parents are a sin and that rage is a sin. It tells us that drunkenness is a sin. Now, let me pause for a second and just remind you, those of you who who feel liberty to engage in alcohol as a beverage, you need to be able to answer the question, when has beverage slipped into control of your life? Is it one glass? Is it a glass and a half? Is it two glasses? Is it three glasses? You tell me, when has that beverage now become a controlling factor in your life instead of the Spirit of God? It says slander is a sin, lying about someone, bearing false witness about them. Telling somebody an untruth about someone is a sin. Taking advantage of someone to cheat them out of something is a sin. We're not only to get rid of sin in our lives, but the Bible teaches us we're to get rid of strongholds in our lives. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, 3-5. I'm inviting you to do some homework yourself. I'm not going to take the time to go into uh, in depth in these texts. These are sermons on them, of themselves, but, but we certainly need to take a look at this this checklist and find out where we are with God. What does God require of us? And strongholds basically are the standards of this world. The standards of this world are not the measurement for how Christians should live. Okay, that, that text there talks about pretenses that set themselves up against the knowledge of God. Every day of of your life, of my life, the culture is trying to intrude into our lives and and insist that the abnormal is normal. And the culture culture is, is motivated and fueled by the enemy of our souls who knows that if you tell people something that is abnormal is normal long enough, it may become normal. And we are starting in our... In our, even in our conservative evangelical circles, to waver on behaviors and practices that are an abomination to God. Because we've been told every day in every way that this is the way the new culture thinks and believes, and you're old-fashioned if you think this way. Listen, we serve a God who does not change. He's the same today, yesterday, and forever. And what he says is wrong is wrong yesterday, today, and forever. And these strongholds are pushing you to gain a bastion in your life. I feel like my microphone's doing weird things, is it? Hmm? I'm hearing something. I don't know what it is. Something's rattling up here. Maybe I'm just... Okay. It's just some sort of stronghold. <laughs> it's seeking to wear us down. Wear our resolve down. God also wants us to get rid of spiritually detrimental partnerships and associations. 
The issue here, as I said, was not about ethnic cleansing. Look what, look what God, look at the indictment in verse 2 again. You shall not make a covenant with the people of this. It was about making a treaty, functional treaties with heart-stealing things or people or mission. That's the, that's the issue of God's heart. And that requires of us to, to deal with spiritually detrimental partnerships and associations. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, 14 through 7, 1. That means that God is calling us to make employment choices and God is calling on us to make friendship choices and God is calling on us to make marriage choices and God is calling on us to make business arrangement choices and partnership choices that require compromise or may require compromise or some sort of functional treaty that might steal our heart away from God. We tend to become like the tribe we're with. Because you get kicked out of the tribe if you're not like the tribe you're with. And our tribe is those who reflect the glory of Christ. That's our tribe. And anything that's spiritually detrimental must be moved out of our life. Any places of worship in your life not related to God must go. See what he says here? You must, in verse, again in chapter 2, verse 2, you shall break down their altars. Altars are places of sacrifice. Now you're saying, I don't have any altars in my house. I don't burn anything. I don't... Shed any blood in my house? Yes, I get this. Jesus is the final sacrifice. But there isn't a one of us in here who is not at risk and in danger of sacrificing our lives to things that don't advance the cause of Christ. And negatively. Let me, let me here's what I jotted down as places of worship that are not related to God a definition. What sacrifices, it's a question that you can ask of your life. What sacrifices are you making for people, things, whatever, that are not advancing the gospel or the kingdom of Christ, but rather are benefiting the culture at odds with Jesus at the expense of being a living sacrifice yourself for Christ? Now, that's a long question, I know. I repeated it three times in the service before this. At their request. I'm not hearing that you need to hear it again. <laughs> Are you not with me? Are you not digging this? Listen. Listen. This is critical to you. You have to ask these. We, I have to ask this of my life. You have to ask these questions of your life. These are the critical questions of wholeheartedness. Am I sacrificing anything? Am I making sacrifices in my life for things and people that benefit the kingdom at odds to Jesus and prevent me from having margin in my life to present my life a living sacrifice to the Lord? That's got to go. It is... Dogging us in this culture and in, this, in, in the culture that we live in, which is affluent. So that's, that, that gets us orientated here to what's going on. Um, it was failure upon failure. It, we, you know, as I said in this book of Judges, we started out so well. And then by the time we went 36 verses, we realized that we were in, we were in trouble. And we read through the text and we realize, where did this break down? What happened here? And and you get to verse 19 and you read, wow, the Lord was with the men of Judah. That's a great phrase. That's an amazing start. The Lord of glory, the Lord of the universe, the the all-powerful God was with the men of Judah. This is how they're launching the mission, how they're moving out in this campaign. I mean, think about it. Isn't that how we want it described in our own lives, in in our lives, and in the life of our church? The Lord God was with Calvary, is with Calvary Baptist Church. The Lord God is with the people of Calvary Baptist Church. 
I mean, is there anything with that description that we can't accomplish? They took possession of the hill country. All right. But, usually the worst word in the Bible. Occasionally it's a good word, but usually it's turning the wrong corner. But, they were unable to drive the people from the plains because they had iron chariots. You read in verse 21, the Benjamites, however, failed to dislodge the Jebusites. You keep reading and you find that Manasseh did not, in verse 27, drive the people of Bethshan or Tanash or Dor or Ableem or Megiddo. You read down to verse 29, you see, nor did Ephraim drive out the Canaanites living in Gezer. Or neither did Zebulun, verse 30, drive out the Canaanites living in Kitron and Naholal. Verse 31, nor did Asher drive out these living in Akko or Sidon or Alab or, As- or Whitby or Pickering. Or- why, why can't it just be Whitby, Pickering or Oshawa? Or what? It's so hard to say. Verse 35, and the Amorites were determined also to hold out in Mount Herez. And as I, you know, when I'm, I'm, I'm discouraged. I can't even read anymore. So here's the question of this morning. The punch of where we really want to go. Why do we leave unhealthy things in our lives? When God has already said, I am with you. I will drive these things out of your life. I'm given to you abundant life. I'm giving you victorious life. I want your soul to prosper. I've already defeated death and evil. Why? Why is all of this stuff allowed to be in our lives? Why do we leave unhealthy things around us? They were to rid the land of competition with God for for their affections. The issue was, by the way, the potential to make a religious covenant that would interfere with their wholehearted worship of the Lord. So, why is it? I hope you notice here that, that the Lord said in verse 2 of chapter 1, I have already given the land into their hands. I've given the land in your hands. It's there for you taking. So, um, why do we make um, and allow this to be in our lives? We, like them, are prone to make excuses for unhealthy things in our lives. Because they don't need to be there. God has already given us the opportunity to be more than conquerors through Christ. So why do we allow Him to be there? I want to draw your attention. Um, It is regular for God's people to say, we can't. We just simply can't deal with this. We can't can't drive this out of our, our lives. Notice in verse 19, the Lord was with the men of Judah. They took possession of the hill country, but they were unable to drive the people from the plains. And here's why. Because they had iron chariots. Iron chariots. Whoa. Can you picture heaven? We can't do this, Lord, because they have iron chariots. And God is like... Oh, iron chariots. Iron chariots. All right, shut the program down. The God who spoke the universe into existence is now quaking at iron chariots. Listen, Phil Powers and a good truck could take care of an iron chariot. You know, what they were really saying is, we're afraid we're going to get hurt. If we eradicate this from our lives, it's going to hurt. There's a listing of things we, listing of excuses we make on why we can't get rid of certain things in our lives that we, in a lame fashion, give over to God. You know, we're... 
we're outgunned, you know, the sin, the idols become such a force that, that walking away will put me in a painful situation. Owning up to the truth, Lord, is going to cost me. So, have you considered that? Or, I might have to liquidate some assets to be a living sacrifice, Lord, and that's going to be pretty painful. I might have to quit my job and follow the heart of God who has something else for me to do. I might have to change friends. I might have to drop a relationship. That's going to hurt, Lord. I'm not prepared, Lord, to cut off this improper sexual relationship I have with this person because they'll they'll probably leave me and then I'll be alone. It's going to hurt too much. And so we um, say we can't. As you move down through the text, you notice that there's another excuse in verse 27, the... uh, People of Manasseh did not drive out the people of Bethshan and so on because the Canaanites, it says, were determined to live in that land. Oh, Lord. They're determined to live here. Well, well I, never, I never thought about that. When I, was, when I was mapping out the idea that you could have victorious living and You could have all of this out of your life. It never, ever occurred to me that there would be some stubborn things that would be determined to stick. And so we um, give this excuse to the Lord that I can't get rid of my addictions because, Lord, they have such a strong hold on my life. And yes, they do. Oh, yes, they do. In the power of human strength, we are no match for addictions. Whether they be chemical or behavioral or whatever they are, we are no match. But remember how we identified the start of this? God is with them. And so our dependencies on things outside of God for what God is supposed to give us, we claim have a stronghold on us. And then in verse 28, when Israel became strong, they pressed the Canaanites into forced labor, but never drove them out completely. It's the familiar foe. Lord, I can't get rid of this because it's very useful to me. And so they took and they enslaved some of the people for economic benefit. When God said, you need to get them away from you. How often do we have in our repertoire sins that we use to benefit our lives? Lord, I'm not going to be a forgiving person because not forgiving makes me feel so much better toward the person who has hurt me. I can't get rid of rage, Lord. It just makes me feel better to pound the walls and smash the doors and yell and scream. I can't stop stealing, Lord, because I become accustomed to to the economic advantage that is in my life. I can't start giving generously, Lord, because I won't be able to live the way I'm currently living, and I like the way I'm living. Well, the Lord doesn't, at the end of this text, say, okay, I understand. The iron chariots are way too tough. The determined and stubborn people, yes, I get it. It's fine. It's okay. Yes, of course, go ahead and keep, keep some things that are of an economic advantage to you. Go ahead. No, God's response is to visit them personally. 
and to say to them, you are disobedient people. The deal isn't you can't. The deal is you won't. You won't. Let me conclude and wrap this up with three kind of reasons why we give God the, or why we are really not doing it because we won't. It's really about a faith famine. There are three things. The one is this. We don't believe in God's mission. You know, the only explanation for why they wouldn't drive all the people out of the land when God said, I'm giving this to you, is, is somehow in their hearts they had decided that we don't really believe in God's mission. God's mission of clearing everybody out of the land, that doesn't make any sense to us. We're not convinced. God's, God's all worked up about nothing. We don't believe in his mission. And that can be true of us. See, many of us will harbor unrighteous anger in our lives because we don't believe in our heart of hearts that God's justice is good enough. And so we have to hold each other emotionally hostage to get that pound of flesh. We think that maybe their pain is too small. We hear the words of God calling us into salvation as living sacrifices, but we're not really convinced that God's mission is a good mission and is worthy of our sacrifice. Many of us have have not understood that the mission of God is not to make money, it's to make, help me out, Calvary, it's to make disciples. It's to make us into disciples. It's for us to be making disciples. It's, it's for our lives to be transformed. The mission of God is that we would be transformed into the likeness of Christ, that as we fill the whole world with the glory of God, people would ask us, And we would tell them and they would respond to the gospel. So sometimes we just don't believe in the mission. Other times we don't believe in God's evicting power. God, the iron chariot's too strong. This substance has got too great a hold in my life. The economic advantage of my sin, Lord, is too great. And I, I don't... I don't see how you can get rid of this stuff in my life. And so we don't believe in the evicting power of God. There's an old uh, book written back in 500 BC. It's uh, called The Art of War. It's not a biblical book, but it has a very correct statement in it whereby the general Sun Tzu was stated to have said, every battle is won or lost before it is ever fought. And that's entirely true, certainly of God's word. God said, I have already given you the land. Every battle is won before it is even fought. When you are a child of the living God, Our God will fight for us. Our God is already victorious. I have given the land, he says, into your hands before you even go into it. I've given it to you already. It's a done deal. Go in and receive what God has for you. There's one more reason why we won't. We won't because we're not sold on God as enough. We don't believe in God's mission. That's possible. We don't believe in God's evicting power. That's possible. But I wonder if one of the biggest reasons is because we really don't believe that God is enough. And so we supplement our lives with sin and idols. Our addictions are a supplemental happiness because we're not convinced that when we need it, 
God's peace that passes all understanding will be there. And so preemptively, we pop a pill or we drink too much. I wonder if we hold on to that godless sexual partner because we're not convinced that God promising to never leave us or forsake us is enough. I wonder if we key our lives on possessions and things because they bring much pleasure and security and we're not really convinced that my God will supply all my needs according to his riches in Christ Jesus. To many of us, to many of us that seems like code for a missionary's income. And I can tell you something. I don't know many missionaries who are upset. They're quite happy with what God has provided. Are you sold on God as enough? Because if you're going to enter into the land of victory spiritually, the end goal of that is wholehearted devotion to God. So stop telling him that you can't. The truth is, you won't. Let's be honest with God. If you're deceiving yourself, let's at least be honest with God. God, it's really, I won't. I'm going to uh, call Steve up in a second, but in salvation, God has made and brought potential for abundance in our lives. He will neither give up or give in because he has purchased us by the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And here's the two realities. If you choose to live by flesh and not faith, you are choosing to suffer badly. Now, therefore, God says, I tell you that I will not drive them out before you. Listen, if you want to keep giving God excuses for your sin and your idols, he will leave them there in your life. You understand the urgency, the horror of that? He will just leave them there in your life. And they will be thorns in your sides and their gods will be a snare to you. If you choose to do this, you will choose to suffer badly. But if you choose to offer yourselves as sacrifices to the Lord and experience his mighty work of cleaning house, you will have victorious living. It's true. If we trust him and turn from idols and reject the option to sin, he will drive out enemy strongholds in our life. But if we don't, he won't. The meaning of salvation is to turn from our sin and our idols to the living Christ. Are you doing that fully, wholeheartedly? Because that's the journey we're on to living cross-culturally. Lord God, I pray this morning... And where you have taken us, where you've started this journey with us, that we will embark with a new resolve. Lord, I ask that you would impassion our hearts with the help of the Lord Jesus Christ and his strength, who has already fought the battle, has already won the battle for us. It is ours for the taking. It is ours to receive. Lord, I pray that not a one of us would be content to have anything in our lives but the fullness of God and your blessing, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Not much liberty to preach this morning. Something not very good in the room. Different from the first service. Very different. This sermon was planned a long time ago, but... Lately, God has been opening up a window for our pastors and leaders to, to recognize how, how bad a state our hearts are in. We're not good. We're not in good shape. God is doing amazing things around us. And whenever that happens, 
It's like Isaiah, when he had this glimpse of God, he realized how sinful he was and the sinful people that he was among. And I stand here as a great sinner before you. And here's the thing. Here's the challenge for us. God is calling on us at a crossroad of this congregation, this community. Are we going to go forward to a new level of righteousness and dependency upon God and holiness and purity? Or are we going to shut it down and wander around? Today, the song was today. I want you to think about something as an application. Sins and idols. What if today, each one of us, and there's over a thousand of us here this morning, not in, this, in both services, collectively. What if each one of us chooses to believe that God can chase a sin out of our lives? Every one of us. That sin that you know you have. And what if God, if, what if we choose to believe today and trust God to chase an idol, something that's in the way of God, something that may not be a bad thing, but it's, it's an interfering thing. What if each one of us chooses to allow God to do that? That's a thousand plus sins gone today. Times, however many times we were going to commit that sin and a thousand plus idols gone today. I can't even imagine the spiritual supercharge that would happen with the Calvary community if we trusted God for this and took him seriously. That's our heart desire. That's the challenge that I believe God is putting before us today. Will you give him one sin that he's already defeated and let him chase it out of your life? Will you connect your willingness to his power for one sin and one idol? You write it down. You write down that sin and that idol and you give it to God. Thousand plus. Can you imagine? Oh God, this is a true sacrifice with unbelievable ramifications. Would you please put it in our hearts and by your power, do your work among us, Lord, of bringing victory, victorious, wholehearted living to us, I pray in Jesus' name, amen.